From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence, powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, The National Conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, July 4th through Friday, July 8th, 2022, was a week of fireworks during and after the fireworks, a shocking assassination in Japan, politics and more politics, inflation, monkeypox, and war. Get ready for a powerful hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. Please, don't get angry. Just listen closely, and while doing so, maintain a degree of educated skepticism. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey at Talkers, Gary Sutton, Dr. Dahlia Wax, Holland Cook, Dom Giordano, Victoria Jones, and Matthew B. Harrison. Influential yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Wrap. Heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10, a tie between Big Tech and Elon Musk. Seems there's always something about Big Tech in the Talkers top 10, ranging from censorship to loss of privacy, major issues that test the First Amendment, not to mention monopoly laws during the digital era. And there's always something in that same top 10 about billionaire Elon Musk, whether it's the Twitter deal, Tesla, or gossip about his wives and children. At number nine, a tie between race relations and immigration. Protesters demanded justice in Akron, Ohio, despite a citywide curfew, and dozens were arrested. It came one week after the fatal police shooting of 25-year-old Jalen Walker, an unarmed black man who sustained more than 60 wounds. Texas Judge Tully Shahan claimed, We're being invaded. Words echoed by officials in three Texas counties urging Governor Greg Abbott to declare an invasion of the state by illegal immigrants as the border surge continues to grow. At number eight, a tie between COVID-19 and monkeypox. The COVID BA.5 version has become the main variant of the virus in America in a matter of weeks, in a troubling development that comes in the midst of what threatens to be America's second largest wave of the pandemic. It comes at a time when much of the nation has relaxed nearly all COVID restrictions in public and life has returned largely to normal. And now monkeypox is on the national health radar with over 700 reported cases of the disease in America. Monkeypox cases around the world have increased 77% this past week, according to the World Health Organization, up 2,614 cases from June 27. At number seven, abortion rights. 
House Democrats hope to revamp a bill to codify women's rights to an abortion called the Women's Health Protection Act as the party scrambles to put up resistance to the Supreme Court's recent overturning of Roe v. Wade, both federally as well as on a state-by-state level. At this point, one in five pregnancies in America ends with an abortion. At number six, the Russia-Ukraine War and Foreign Affairs. A meeting of G20 foreign ministers got underway this week in Bali with Russia, China, and the U.S. all in attendance. Let the post-4th of July diplomatic fireworks begin. Meantime, the carnage continues as Russian troops are advancing toward three villages in the vulnerable eastern segment of the beleaguered former Soviet satellite. And a growing number of Americans question the long-term wisdom of pouring arms and money into their cause. Putin says the war could continue until the last Ukrainian is left standing. At number five, Boris Johnson resigns. It seems the swaggering and often reckless British prime minister's propensity toward lying has finally caught up with him. It's a widely held opinion by the British on both sides of their aisle. Meantime, international political observers and strategists are comparing and contrasting the careers of Boris Johnson and Donald Trump. We'll be checking in this hour with our British-born Washington, D.C. correspondent for fresh and detailed insights into this fascinating development. At number four, the economy. Inflation continues to roar in America, driven by the Russia-Ukraine war, energy prices, supply chain breakdowns, and pent-up demand. The situation ain't pretty. The Wall Street Journal reports the economy could have a long case of long COVID, with lingering symptoms for millions of people placing a prolonged drag on economic activity while a recession seems increasingly imminent. At number three, partisan politics and the primaries. Whereas for the past year or so, the national talk media conversation was full of talk about the inevitability of the Republican Party sweeping to success in the November midterm general elections. That is no longer the case, as national and regional polls indicate it is shaping up to be far more of a competitive contest than originally anticipated. Some of this changing environment might be sparked by the spate of conservative Supreme Court rulings that appears to be galvanizing Democrats, as well as the growing intensity of revelations about former President Trump's activities leading to and surrounding the events of January 6. At number two, the January 6 committee hearings. As we put this program to bed on Friday morning, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6 Capitol riot is set to interview one of its most sought-after witnesses. Pat Cipollone, Donald Trump's former White House counsel, is expected to meet with the committee behind closed doors for a transcribed interview. The interview won't be televised, but the committee intends to come up with even more televised bombshells next week. As for their impact on American public opinion and the legal fate of Donald Trump, that remains to be seen. And at number one this week, a tie between the parade shooting and guns. The July 4th parade shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, left seven people dead and dozens more wounded in yet another mass gun murder in America. Increasing the debate over gun ownership in the nation and even deeper introspection as to what the hell is wrong with our society. I don't think guns specifically are the cause of our societal toxicity. However, there's far more to this syndrome than just the mass shootings that we've come to expect on a regular basis in America. Gun violence spiked over Fourth of July weekend, with shootings reported in nearly every U.S. state that killed a total of at least 220 people and wounded close to 570 others. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. Let's kick off the interview segment of this week's program by visiting our friend Gary Sutton, the longtime morning host at WSBA in York, Pennsylvania. I think a lot of people are still talking about the uh, the Dobbs case, the Dobbs case, uh, uh, and the Roe v. Wade uh, 
of course, everybody in the country is talking about that. But I think uh, in our particular area, a lot of people are very uh, uh, much thinking that they corrected a mistake. And that's been what a lot of people have been saying. I've been relatively surprised. It's not really been even at all. It's been more in that direction right now that they're glad that it's going back to the states. And now it's going to be interesting to see what is next on the hearth there in terms of how each state is going to react to uh, you know, taking care of uh, choice versus life. Had you been talking about this in terms of supporting or uh, opposing it, or did you just kind of uh, take a moderate position and let the cards fall the way they did? I think I've been interested. I've always taken the position that life begins at conception. I've always been that way. Uh, Part of it's been my religious belief. Part of it has been the idea that I have a great respect for life and that I don't know that we should be interrupting that. And yet I've also found myself in the camp sometimes of, you know, life of the mother or rape or incest. And uh, I find myself feeling somewhat hypocritical when I say, well, life is, is all important except for those situations. And so, you know, I find myself trying to understand both sides a little bit and trying to figure out um, the case of the individual versus, you know, what's best for society. I do think that it's good in society that we respect life in all cases. Uh, I, I'm a person that's against capital punishment. Uh, I find myself trying to be consistent in that. And yet at the same time, uh, there are little glitches as there are any times as human beings that we try to figure out what's going on in this crazy world that we live in. And so, uh, you know, I'm trying to list the people of goodwill on both sides and, and hear what they have to say. But essentially, I'm kind of a, in the corner of life. And yet I think it's also going to be a little bit more complicated in terms of how the states are going to deal with this and what they're going to do in terms of figuring it all out. But I don't think it's... Um, a situation where we ought to be heavy handed on any side right now in this, that we ought to respect the opinion of people in terms of trying to figure it out in a much better way than we've been doing so far. Do you think it's going to have an impact on the 2022 midterms? Um, and perhaps I'm not sure. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I, I, my sense is, you know, you hear all the people talking about, well, this is going to be a red wave and all that. I don't have that sense. I, I think it's going to be more state by state. Uh, although obviously we're galvanized together right now, in terms of the economy and the price of gas and the price of food and what it's doing to our vacations and and all those kind of things around the country. But at the same time, I, I think that they're on paper, at least being an old coach that I am on paper, it seems like it might galvanize people together who are Democrats to try to come in, in one note, so to speak, uh, and approach something that they really have cared deeply about over the years. I mean, this has been kind of part of the holy grail of uh, the Democratic Party for the last 50 years. And so I would be surprised if it didn't attract some of the voters that maybe otherwise would have stood out. Uh, I'll wait and see. But I, I think it's going to be an intriguing midterm election. I, I think that you have so many things at play right now. Uh, the anti-Trump forces, you've got the uh, anti-Trump forces in the Republican Party alone. Uh, you've got the... Uh, uh, Biden that being at a 38% approval rating right now and having a tough time really trying to get anything right in terms of policy. And so you have all these things in play right now. It's like watching the old days of the, the guy spinning the pie plates and trying to keep them all going and trying to figure out which one is going to fall first. So we'll see what happens. But uh, my sense is that, that the life um, topic will be at play somehow in this whole next election. And obviously, I think also the Supreme Court at large is going to be a big discussion item because 
that is a place that a lot is being decided right now on here, obviously, in the last two weeks. What do you think about in terms of uh, the, terrible, the terrible tragedy on the 4th of July at the parade? Is, is this going to change? Is this going to move the needle on the gun debate any more than has already been moved? And um, what, have your, what have your callers been saying? You know, our, our callers generally have been uh, of the conservative ilk, and they have said that basically we have things out there to take care of gun control right now, and it's called individuals uh, possessing the discipline not to use guns in a bad way. Uh, it also has been uh, a situation where they have talked about the idea of we ought to start worried if we're not finding these kind of situations revolting in our society. I think the tendency for us is to run and say, um, this is a terrible, terrible thing. I think we all agree with that. Uh, but the idea that we always have to say, and, and many of our politicians do this, we've got to do something. I'm not sure what else we can do right now, Michael. And I know that sounds very uh, almost anti-whatever, but I, I just think we're in a situation right now where we need to start to do a better job with each other in terms of our families, in terms of our social media and how we handle each other there. I, I think this is a far greater thing than just gun control. I think it's a uh, a whole another thing on how we treat each other and what we're doing. I know that sounds very idealistic. No, no, actually, you, I, I am in agreement with you. I, I, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say it's idealistic. I'd say it's realistic, and yeah. um, and uh, very much we have a crisis of character um, uh, and a, a crisis in terms of our nature in this country. I, right. I, and and of course, and I do believe there's the mental health quilt. issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's one big quilt right now. It's not, you know, this idea that we, we fix this one thing, everything else will fall in line. It doesn't work like that. I think it's a whole tapestry that needs to be dealt with. And uh, I look at the social media and, and no one can tell me that the way we deal with things in social media and put this out there, that there's not a lot of the copycat aspects to all of this, but also the idea that we don't have any discipline in how we react to one another and, and the things that we do and how we react to uh, how we're treated in society and the idea, well, I, I was treated poorly, therefore I'm going to run out and, and shoot somebody or, or shoot a lot of people. I mean, it's terrible what we're seeing there. And yet at the same time, the idea that politicians immediately have to run out and say, we've got to do something. What we've got to do is far more complicated than just, you know, taking guns and making sure we do all the various kinds of things with gun control. I think there is an aspect of that that is common sense, but I think there also is uh, a much greater task at hand and it's how we treat each other here in society. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the politicians use that as an opportunity to make it look like they're doing something. They play to their right. constituents, but they know they can't do anything, or maybe they know they can't do anything and get reelected, or maybe they know they can't do anything that'll have any results in a short term. Some of these are very long-term problems, and let's face it, politics and uh, corporate CEOs don't think long-term these days. It's not uh, it's not good for their, um, their careers or their health. Um, just another minute or so. How's the economy impacting your area? People are making it through right now. I always look at the economy as there's a breaking point somewhere. Now we're starting to see gas prices come back a little bit at a time. Uh, and I think people are hopeful that those things are going to happen. I think they're seeing right now the economy as going to get better. I hope they're right. But at the moment, uh, you know, a lot of people are staying home for the summer. They're not going on the big, long vacations, or they're going to the ones that they've gone to maybe a little bit shorter period of time. Gas prices have been uh, the big bugaboo so far, and yet I'm seeing people getting out and still doing things. I'm seeing people in the area at our restaurants and places that are still frequenting those. So I think there's a, more of a hopeful attitude than you would hear about in the press every day. 
as people are hoping for better. That's Gary Sutton, the longtime morning host at WSBA in York, Pennsylvania. Coming up next, we'll hear the latest on COVID, as well as the continuing spread of monkeypox. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. One of the great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Coonan, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. I know you're real. Take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address. Write it down. I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. COVID-19 continues to be tracked by talkers as one of the 10 most talked about subjects in the American talk media. And now monkeypox has made its way onto the survey as well. Joining us from Las Vegas, Nevada, is prominent physician and radio talk show host, her daily across the nation on the Genesis Communications Network, Dr. Dahlia Wax. So, Dr. Wax, COVID is still out there. COVID is still being talked about. Before we get into the latest on COVID, though, let's talk about monkeypox, because I'm seeing that seems to be growing. And are there any other big, bad bugs out there waiting to cause bedlam? That's a, that's a great question. So with monkeypox, the U.S. cases have now tallied at over 600, and we are recruiting LabCorp to help do some, uh, do some testing because we are um, uh, tragically behind. And we believe that there are many more tra- monkeypox cases than we know. But this monkeypox strain is a little newer than the older version. On one end, we thought that monkeypox would always start with a fever, always start with you know swollen lymph nodes, feeling fatigued. No, these new monkeypox cases, no, some people might not get a fever, might not feel bad at all, but just get spots. So it's not acting like the typical monkeypox, but even more dangerous is originally monkeypox, the lesions would start on the face and then go down from there. So you could recognize it across a, a parking lot. Now we are seeing with this strain of monkeypox, the lesions may start genitally or in the rectal area. So then the average person who meets somebody at a party might not see the spots. And so we think it's it, monkeypox is getting smarter, it's getting more stealth, and it's figuring out how to spread without being so apparent and open in the public. And we also believe that a lot of people aren't going to get screened. They're keeping it quiet, just like with COVID. They don't want to be on a list. They don't want to get screened. They don't want anybody knowing. They don't want health department contacting them. So when they do have spots, they stay home. And if they could hide them because they're only in their genitals, then nobody knows, and, and then their contacts don't get told. 
So monkeypox is sadly going to have higher number tallies um, um, because of just a whole slew of issues. Now, now COVID was, you know, airborne and, and it was an equal opportunity offender. I gather from uh, things we've said in the past, things I've read and the way you've described this, uh, particularly with the genitals uh, aspect of it, that monkeypox is primarily sexually transmitted. Am I correct? It's a, it's, a, it's a term that's being um, redefined. So people are getting it during sex. You're absolutely right. But they're not going to call it necessarily a sexually transmitted illness if they can't detect it being passed in fluids. So I believe it can be passed sexually, and because we're seeing it during sex, we're also seeing it in areas where pox are infecting areas that usually wouldn't be infected by them. But they're not calling it an STD yet. Uh-huh. But... It, it, it um, there is a correlation there, at least uh, anecdotally. Um, yes, yes. as well as airborne. As well as, as always, yes. well as airborne. Yes. So from the beginning, the CDC had on their website that large respiratory droplets could share monkeypox, just like smallpox, just like chickenpox. Even though um, this 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 new strain, however, seems to be more skin on skin, touching clothes, touching contaminated fluids, uh, airborne transmission is still suspect. So they have not removed that from the CDC website. Large respiratory droplets are still considered, even though this seems to be acting differently than other monkeypox, we still believe it could spread similarly um, uh, as as the previous monkeypox. Okay, let's shift now to uh, COVID. So right now, the BA5 strain, the fifth of the Omicron strains this year in 2022, is the more pre, uh, is the more dominant strain, and so for those individuals who got COVID in January, uh, the Omicron version, or got the BA 2.121 in March, they could still be at risk for this BA5. This BA5 seems to escape vaccine immunity, escape natural immunity, and escape even some of the over-the-counter rapid antigen tests. However, for some people, they are um, only having a mild illness. They're not ending up in the hospital. You know, even though Omicron is still killing people, not to the same degree as Delta, Alpha, or the wild-type virus. So we do believe more of us are protected, but the strain is breaking through, and individuals who think, no, I'm vaccinated, this can't be COVID, um, please get tested, and a negative home test don't trust you. You should probably get a PCR test because we don't want you going to work sick and spreading this to others. Did um, Dr. Fauci getting this have any impact on the politics of it or just the, the general vibe, how people react? Uh, did it repoliticize it? Fantastic question. I think what what did um, thrust uh, uh, politics into this uh, it, uh, is his need to get Paxlovid twice. Paxlovid was marketed as a one-time five-day treatment for COVID. And Fauci getting the rebound COVID a week or two later, testing negative and testing positive, put in the focus of conversation that COVID does not necessarily go away in five days. COVID will make an encore presentation, which I had predicted last year. Nobody listens, but you know, I said, look, look, it stays in our body longer and it comes back and does an encore. Fauci now is testament to that, where, where he's lays evidence to that, where he got it twice, same strain, got sick again after having a negative test and needed to have a second round of Paxlovid. That's our medical correspondent who's heard daily on the Genesis Communications Network, Dr. Dahlia Wax. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. 
The economy is on the mind of most Americans, and it's reflected in the national conversation big time. Nationally known media consultant, former TV host and radio industry insider Holland Cook says inflation is the hot button topic of the present era. And he's written an ebook full of tips to combat it in our daily lives. It's titled Hacking Inflation, Saving Those Benjamins. What do you mean by the term inflation hacks? I went on Google and I just typed in the word inflation and the sentence that Google spit back at me sounded like a newscast. It says, I'm quoting, the main contributing factors include the increase in the money supply, worker shortages and rising wages, supply chain disruption, as well as fossil fuel policies. There is a snapshot of America in 2022, and the media connection is rather than just hollering at each other about inflation, why don't we use this medium to collect ways that we can help each other? What little hacks, tips, and tricks, and frugalities, and economies are helping you fill your tank with gas every day? Do you think that the average person in America right now uh, is being impacted in terms of uh, their own life by this massive inflation, this unprecedented, at least in the lifetime of so many people listening to this broadcast, uh, the, uh, the rise in prices? Do you think it's hitting home all over the place? A total game changer. And it's not just hitting home, it's hitting away. Even with these gas prices at record highs, People have so much cabin fever from two summers of staycation during the pandemic that they're just going and they're wary of flying. You see this in the newscasts every weekend when thousands of flights are canceled, but they're driving regardless of the cost because, darn it, we're going to have a vacation. Yeah, there is this um, this I'm shedding my mask. I'm shedding my fear. I'm going out there and I'm going to. Have a beer. I just wrote a poem. Uh, yeah. it, uh, it, there, there does seem to be, in some cases, there's a recklessness attached to it, but I understand it. Um, it's pent-up demand. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. So uh, what are some of the things that some people, what are the basics? Because I, I, I plan to have you on the program um, more than one time. Um, and at the end of this conversation, we'll tell everybody how they could uh, tap into your, your ebook, Inflation Hacks, Save Those Benjamins by uh, Holland Cook. What, um, what, what's the general uh, broad strokes advice that you would give to people in terms of uh, what to be ready for in terms of these conversations that you and I will be having? We are all getting a remarkable lesson in supply and demand. And obviously the big enchilada is gas prices because if you want to go somewhere, it just got real expensive. And even if you don't want to go anywhere, everything that we buy had to get delivered at some point. So talk about supply and demand. If you go back to April 2020, suddenly we all stayed home during the pandemic shutdown. Nobody drove, nobody flew. Oil prices fell so much that some traders on this worldwide market were paying buyers to take oil, which had filled storage tanks and barges. The U.S. oil benchmark fell to $30 below zero. First time in history prices ever turned negative. They were paying you to take oil. So big oil stopped drilling, the refinery shut down. Back to the future, 
look around, you see the help wanted sign everywhere. So even if oil companies wanted to drill, baby, drill, who's going to drill? And even if they did, there hasn't been a major refinery built in 50 years. So we need to do what we can about filling the tank. And I have several tips for you. Number one is the obvious. Shop around. In the course of driving around yesterday, I saw about a 30-cent swing. I drove through two states. So note, even within your neighborhood, you might find a 20-cent-per-gallon difference. Bookmark GasBuddy.com which you can put your zip code in and it'll tell you what the prices are. Uh, another obvious tip is slow down. AAA says that for every five miles per hour you drive over 50 miles per hour, it's the equivalent of raising the price of a gallon 25 cents. And if your car has one of those little gauges in it that shows you the average mileage you're getting, you see how big a difference your right foot can make it's probably measuring manifold vacuum, but note how little gas it takes to get where you're going at the speed you need to. Uh, we keep hearing advice to make sure your tires are properly inflated. If your car doesn't need premium pump regular, if you think you're spoiling your car by giving it premium instead, you might actually be hurting your engine. And uh, shop online. You know, why should you go get something when you can have somebody else bring it to you? And one of the more obvious opportunities that has surfaced in the last year or so of supply chain shortages is if you got a second car you're not using, maybe you should sell it. I had to replace one of my cars, which I was told was not going to pass state inspection. It was so rusted out. I was holding this thing together with Gorilla Glue and duct tape, and I thought I'd donate it like I did a previous car, give it to tax-deductible uh, charities. Right. But the dealer ran it through the car wash and gave me 1500 bucks for it. So that's an organ donor now because there are no car parts out there. So think of all the things you can do not to drive. Yeah, there's one thing I want to touch on while I have you uh, because there's so many details in um, in the ebook Inflation Hacks. Um, you say that everything is up for negotiation. What, what is that philosophy? Well, if you're the buyer, you are still in control if, of course, you can find what you're looking for. But take a close look at your credit card bill at the end of your month. What are you being charged routinely, like clockwork, month after month, that you may not be using? We all made a New Year's resolution and joined a gym in January when there were deals, and by February, we had stopped going. Uh, what about the uh, video and music streaming services? Do you still pay for satellite radio? I bring my iPhone in the car and Bluetooth it into the dashboard and TuneIn is playing all the songs I want to hear. Uh, you can find an awful lot of free video to the extent that you may be rethinking Netflix. They're losing lots of members because if you're Amazon Prime, for instance, which is worth it just for the free shipping, you got hundreds of movies and thousands of TV shows there. So look at your cable bill. There are a lot of people cutting the cord. And if you remember one thing from our entire conversation, you should go visit a website called cordcuttersnews.com. It's an amazing buyer's guide for getting less expensive or free TV. So you may be overpaying there. But look at your cable bill. Look at your cell phone charge. 
very negotiable. They're trying to steal each other's customers. And these resellers you hear advertised are really just reselling Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile under another name. So shop that around. And while you're staring at your credit card bill, question the credit card itself. Many who call the credit card and ask for a lower rate actually get one because, again, they're stealing each other's customers. And because they are, you probably get these solicitations in the mail like I do. Often there will be an introductory offer where for six months or a year, you can transfer a balance from another credit card at 0% interest so you at least stop the clock on what you already owe for that six months or a year. And that is double-digit interest you're pausing. Where so can, every little thing helps. Where can people go to buy this book? We are selling the book at the website, andyoucanquoteme.com. And the reason that's the name of the website is I don't want this to end with just my ideas. We are inviting your ideas. Everybody is being very creative, very inventive, very frugal lately. And I want to keep the ball rolling by inviting everyone's inflation hacks. So the website is going to become a blog, and it's andyoucanquoteme.com. That's media consultant Holland Cook. His ebook is titled Hacking Inflation, Saving Those Benjamins, and it's available at andyoucanquoteme.com. Coming up next, a look at crime, Boris Johnson, and Elon Musk. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. Crime is continuing to spike all across America. Let's touch base with the Dean of Philadelphia Talk Radio, Dom Giordano of WPHT. Where do you want to start? Um, You know, I'd like to start with the mass shootings in Highland Park because I have to uh, go after some of my brethren in the media. Sometimes the narrative is just guns. Sometimes there's other narratives. But the real difficulty here is in Highland Park, you had a dad. You had red flag laws. You had police taking a lot of knives away from this guy. You had him acting out again in various ways. 
And yet somehow or another, he wasn't stopped. And that's the real issue. Are people afraid when they see this stuff? We've seen that. Major Hassan at Fort Hood in the military. The military was afraid, even though they thought this guy was dangerous. He ended up killing uh, double-digit people. This guy in a small town was known. They had been called there. He was a suspect. We hear this again and again and again. So what is it that's missing? I just find it's a good debate. The stuff I don't like are some national hosts saying it's prescription drugs. It's video games. Um, one, uh, Bill Bennett, who I respect, even talked on Fox News about exorcisms. So uh, we devolve on this rather than where the issue is, and that is stopping this person. I don't know about helping them or preventing them, but when they appear visible, my experience, Michael, over years on talk radio is people don't do this as their first act. There's acting out. It's obvious. Many times really obvious. And yet, there's something missing to jump in and stop it. I think there are two things missing, and you bring up a very interesting aspect of this in terms of the red flag situation. Um, one is that we're hesitant to be able to um, grab people, you know, nab them by the law before they do anything just based upon, you know, what might be suspicious behavior. Of course, some of these things are more than just suspicious behavior. The other thing um, – speaks to your history before you were a talk show host um, as a teacher and uh, somebody in radio who is uh, an expert on education. You know what it is to deal with parents. Does, aren't there parents out there who just are in denial about the behavior of their kids and, and they just sort of don't look at it honestly and they cover it up and they deny it? And shouldn't parents be the, the, the beginning of the, um, uh, this whole process of taking, um, taking these kids out of, the, uh, out of you know, the opportunity to do this? Oh, yeah. And, Michael, I would say when you look back over hundreds of these one way or another, it's not always the home where it's just a single mom or one parent or disruptive. Sometimes it's impact. It appears to be the outside okay. The two Columbine kids, at least one of them, I remember they had a grenade on their night table there. And they saw it. They didn't do anything about this. There were other obvious signs going on. You're exactly right. These are not mysterious. I have to say that it would take a lot to push forward and do it. But that's the first thing with the parents. Some, though, I believe, like the guy, the parent in Highwind Park, He's saying, well, I only thought my son was going to use these guns for sports shooting. And yet he had a conversation about him, about mass shooters the night before the shooting. This guy is known in the town, the dad, and has been obstinate before. And I am interested in this case to see if the system will actually follow through and look at, is there something you ought to do with this parent as far as a, a criminal proceeding or something of that nature? It would send a message. Yeah, I, but but I mean, do you remember when you were a teacher and, and things might have even been easier back when you were a teacher and you deal with all of this? Um, is it a severe situation that parents are blind to their kids' faults just in general? Uh, in general, and I get it if it's a minor fault and you're saying you're seeing this type of stuff, but you're exactly right. I mean, I saw some things 
I have one kid who was just getting high all the time, and his father, I remember, worked in a nuclear power plant. He tells me he has to observe a lot because he's a manager there. And how dare you say this is a problem with my son in a meeting? I thought it was going to get physical. And the kid was notorious in the school. I don't mean someone dabbling. I mean someone that was having difficulties academically, behavior, et cetera, and was clearly someone outwardly identifying with drugs. Let's switch gears real quick while I have you. Um, let's look at Philadelphia, the, the district attorney, the mayor, the police, the crime. What are your thoughts? Uh, unprecedented, Michael, what happened here. Our art museum is world famous, and they do a big event for July 4th. 250,000 people show up. Somebody, it's believed, fires from quite a distance up to a mile away in a celebratory fashion. Those bullets come down and hit two cops. One was hit in the head, could have been killed. The mayor of the city, Jim Kenney, who people believe is checked out, does a news conference. He tells the gathered reporters there on scene he'll be so happy when he's no longer mayor, he can enjoy events like this and the NFL draft and all that stuff. And people were in shock. Other politicians gone after him. When have you heard someone say, bluntly, I don't want to be mayor, then resign? It has caused quite a stir. But what it's done, a few politicians now are revisiting stop and frisk because they realize this mayor who's against it no longer has any power. That's Dom Giordano, heard noon to three each day on WPHT Philadelphia. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. And now let's visit with our Washington correspondent, Victoria Jones, executive director of the D.C. Radio Company. I guess it's always exciting for you when there's a big international news story breaking out of your native U.K. It's always thrilling, particularly since it's the, they always seem to be juicy. And you know, during the silly season, which traditionally has been the summer, um, and you know, Boris Johnson, who is the British prime minister, at least he is... This weekend, who knows for how long, he has resigned, I have to say. Boris Johnson has resigned as prime minister, but he hasn't left number 10 Downing Street. He says he's going to be the caretaker prime minister until the fall. Well, that's not really pleasing anybody because there are certain people who are saying, oh, wait a second, we know what he's up to. He's planning to use the summer vacation to sort of wangle away to stay. That's what some people are thinking. The 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 real sort of uh, uh, wanglers and the other people are saying, "Wait a second! He's just gonna." put chaos on the country during those months. Sounds like uh, what we experienced here between the election and uh, Inauguration Day uh, with January 6th in the middle. Is is there a a history in Great Britain of prime ministers trying to hang on to office after they are forced out either by their party losing the majority or their party losing confidence in them um, the way um, we've had this experience now with Donald Trump? which is really the first time in American history a president tried to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power. Has that ever happened before in in modern history in Great Britain? Not in modern history. I mean, in older history, they might have tried, but they came to a sticky end. I mean, sticky blood mm, mm, end. Mm, yeah, violence and bloodshed. Yeah. Um, well, what do you what do you think? Do you th- do you think that this could be dangerous, or do you think that Boris Johnson is just um, 
making a spectacle of himself and will be on his merry way sooner than sooner or later. I think he's making a spectacle of himself. I think he's been making a spectacle of himself for a while now. And uh, and I think many in Britain feel he's even former supporters do. And you know th- they've been doing you know snap polls which they're big on doing in Britain of voters. Partic- they've been doing voters who are also conservatives, Boris Johnson's party. And 70% this week are saying he needed to go, they need a new leader, and they, they haven't decided who that should be. So people are sick of him. But they mostly because they think he's a liar. And I use that word deliberately. It's a very strong word. And I use that word because that's the word that comes back again and again. They don't just feel that he prevaricates or plays about with the truth, but they feel that he lies. Well, he probably does. And, uh, uh, this uh, seems strangely um, similar to <laughs> what's been in the news in terms of American uh, politics. That's our Washington correspondent, Victoria Jones, executive director of the D.C. radio company and a native of Great Britain. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. We have time for one more. Our producer, the vice president and associate publisher of Talkers and media law professor, Matthew B. Harrison. Once again, Elon Musk is on our survey, Matthew, and uh, again, for several things. First of all, what's going on, or is anything going on with the Twitter deal? Well, it seems to be um, in jeopardy. Uh, Some people are suggesting he's trying to uh, find a way out of the deal, but ultimately, there is a question about uh, these bots, these spam bots. Now, bot, bot always means robot for those who are not you know, in tune with the technological terms. So a spam bot is a robot that is fake information, correct? Yes, it's sending out uh, fake uh, tweets, uh, which could be promoting a political point of view. It could be providing fake information or links to false information, or it could be just advertising something um, or or favoriting or liking something or retweeting something in order to uh, help a user get uh, an extreme larger audience share. So, okay, so so there's two things that work here with the spam bot situation, because aside from the deal and aside from Musk, this is very educational for all of us who are told numbers based upon internet platforms, you know, as, as supporting this or supporting that, whether it's a commercial venture, a political campaign, or just a mode of thinking, that... These spam bots mean that some of the numbers that you hear thrown around, how many people are using Twitter, that a significant number, whatever that number may be, are spam bots and thus not real people. In other words, those are fake statistics. Am I correct? Correct. And there's a question about how many of these fake accounts exist. Um, Twitter itself says that it's around 5%, um, but they can't verify that. There have been attempts... Um, but uh, Mr. Musk does not uh, seem to appreciate any of the science or math behind it and therefore doesn't buy it. Uh, and maybe literally he doesn't buy it, but he thinks that there's closer to 25%. Uh, All right, so, so, so a uh, collateral damage, if you will, collateral information come out of this deal that uh, Musk has tried to do has been insight into uh, the underbelly of Twitter and whether he knew this or not, you'd think a guy that could send things to Mars 
you know, with a private company would have a knowledge of this prior to trying to buy Twitter. It, it, it shocks me that he would be taken by surprise by this. But it seems he has, or maybe not. But um, uh, it gave him a heck of a lot of publicity. We've got to talk about spam bots and what's going on on platforms like Twitter so people don't believe everything they hear in terms of numbers. And uh, maybe it's giving him a chance to now kind of wriggle out of the deal. Yeah, I think he's going to have his cake and eat it too because he uh, should be able to get out of this deal because uh, anything more than 5% uh, fake accounts is is just such a significant number that it comes into question all of the truth when it comes to the statistics. In terms of Musk, Musk's other stuff, we only have a, a few seconds. Um, certainly beyond the Twitter story, um, Musk gets a lot of conversation every week because of um, gossip. Uh, particularly uh, lately in terms of his kids. Yes, uh, the, the total count is, is actually 10, though uh, one was deceased as a baby. And something about two of them being born to two different mothers within the same time frame? Yeah, there's definitely some overlap uh, involved with uh, at least four of the children. What an extraordinarily colorful character. Uh, and uh, no wonder people are talking about him week after week. That's our show's producer. He's the producer of this show as well as vice president and associate publisher of Talkers, law professor Matthew B. Harrison. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation. Looking back at the week of Monday, July 4th, through Friday, July 8th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Rap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Rap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Mm-hmm.